0: Um, Open up your Bibles to John chapter 1. We're in a short little series. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible in the pew back in front of you. And turn to page 886. If you don't own a Bible and would like a Bible, you are more than welcome to take that Bible. That is our gift to you here at the chapel. We study God's Word, we read God's Word, we live in God's Word, we believe in God's Word, and we live out His Word. Um, we're in a short little series, Jesus is the light. I didn't come up with it. Um, someone much smarter than I, um, came up with that idea. And, um, we talked the last week, the first five verses, right? That the, the, the real Christmas story, right? Like it's, it's not just Jesus, um, in a manger, right? It's, it's not the beautiful story of an angel visiting Mary and, and telling her, Hey, um, hey girl what's good um this is the tim Morero translation hey girl what's good um you're pregnant and um you don't have a baby daddy um because you're a virgin right so so you're gonna have that's not the christmas story that's not where the christmas story starts right it's not the the story either of of um the the three wise men looking for jesus looking for the messiah that that's not where the christmas story begins in fact the Christmas story begins before Genesis chapter one, where the other gospels, rightfully so, um, start the their opening um, 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 narrative of the gospels, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, um, where they start is, is either a genealogy or the story of Jesus and his birth. John decides to say, like, I'm actually gonna, I'm actually going to give you the real Christmas story. Um, not that the other ones are bad, the other ones are fantastic, but I'm gonna start at the very beginning. And, and he starts before the creations of the world. And, we, and this is what we said last week, and this is summation of, of the first five verses, is that Jesus Christ pre-existed before the universe. Jesus Christ existed before the creation of the universe and, and that's where the story begins. The story begins with God himself. The story begins with God who always existed, and he doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end, and that's difficult for us to comprehend, but that's where faith comes in and says, no, you believe that because God is truthful, God is trustworthy, God is faithful, and God is right, and what he says we ought to believe. So John says, that is true, that is right. We ought to believe it. So what do we believe? That Jesus existed before the creations of the universe. And he even kind of alludes to that, even the way he describes or the way he writes, right? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Well, what does that sound like? Genesis chapter one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We find ourselves in the next section. We're gonna look at verses 6 and 6 to 13 and and we'll talk a little bit what what um what's john's purpose in writing this um so so john starts off talking about the word he he doesn't say that jesus christ um existed before the universe by saying the word jesus he actually uses um other words he says the word or the light and we're going to talk about the light so he talks this this idea that god's self-revelation to us has always existed but then he interrupts his narrative he it's like he presses pause on the story and then he picks up another story, right? He says, in the beginning was the word and the, the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness. And my favorite verse, as I said last week, in this chapter is, and the darkness cannot overcome it. So when you read that, Think, say it like that. The darkness has no overcoming. Then he presses pause in the story. And this is what he says, verse six. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light but it came to bear witness about the light. Every time this is, if you, if you like to read your Bible and oftentimes find it difficult to understand what's going on in scripture, a good way of reading scripture is picking up repetitive words or ideas, right? So in this section, John is talking about John the Baptist. So the writer of the gospel is John the Beloved or John the Evangelist, as some affectionately call him. And he's talking about John the Baptist. So he's saying that John the Baptist came as a witness to bear witness about what? The light. Why? So that all might believe. Through who? Through John the Baptist, right? So they will believe in Jesus through the testimony of John the Baptist. And then he repeats this idea. He was not the light, saying John the Baptist is not God. John the Baptist is not Jesus. But came to bear witness about the light. So anytime you read scripture and you see repeated words or phrases, the author is trying to communicate something to us. Then he goes on to say in verse nine, the true light. Okay, true light. So Jesus is the light. Now now John presses play again, right? Remember, he pressed pause after verse five. He introduces this new idea and then presses play again in verse nine. The true light, referring to Jesus, interesting which gives light to everyone was coming into the world he was in the world and the world was made through him and yet the world did not know him that's an interesting idea if you like to highlight it underlight, you may want to highlight that that the world did not know him what else does he say he came to his own and his own people did not receive him, right? So the world does not know him, and his own people did not receive him. We'll talk about that in a minute, what that means. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Okay, what's the main point? What's the main idea? What what is John, the writer of this gospel, trying to communicate? Well, here's here's a couple of things that I think we we need to see. I think the reason why John, the author of the gospel, interrupts the story of Christmas to include John the Baptist, because I think what he wants us to see, a couple of things, one, that, that John the Baptist and his ministry and, and his mission and his purpose has always been part of the plan. You're looking at me like, okay, cool. I'll say that again. John the Baptist, his mission, his purpose, and his plan was, has always existed since the very beginning. And the reason why he includes them in this is because he wants to remind the, the reader, he wants us to ro- remind you and me that God has always revealed himself to his people that God has always sent people to communicate God's power, God's plan, God's purpose, God's will and desire to his people. Think about the Old Testament. Who spoke to Adam in the garden? The second person of the Trinity. Who spoke to Abraham? Second person of the Trinity. Who spoke to Moses, right? God spoke to Moses. And and when God wanted to speak to his people, his chosen people, to the Israelites, who did he pick? He picked Moses. Moses would go up to the mountain, talk to God. God says, you better do this. You better do that. They're acting up. You better go take care of it or I will go take care of it. This is what I'm going to do. Tell the people this, the word of the Lord says. And then what did Moses do? He, he would communicate God's, God's work, God's plan, God's purpose, God's character even to his people. When God wanted to speak to the to the to the kings of the Old Testament, who did he use? Prophets to communicate to the kings. And he would use the prophets to call them to repentance. Hey, listen, you you are, you are choosing a path that I have not decided for you or the people of Israel. You ought to come back and repent. If you don't, this is going to happen, right? When, when God wanted to speak to King David, who did he use? He used for, for a while Samuel, then he used Nathan, right? When, when God wanted to talk to the other kings, I think of a famous story of King Hezekiah. When he told King Hezekiah he was going to die and he ought to prepare his life or his, 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 his family and all his work What he, who did he send? He sent the prophet Isaiah. When, When God's people were in exile, who did he use to tell them, to promise them that a day's coming where he's going to bring them back? He used the prophets. But something happened in the history of Israel. Want to know what happened? For 400 years, God is silent to his people. God does not talk to his people. God stops communicating to his people through the prophets. And you want to know one of the last things that God says? I'm going to read you something in Malachi chapter 4. This is one of the last things that God says to his people, Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree and utter destruction. He also, one of the last things that God says to the prophet in Malachi is that he's going to send another prophet to speak on his behalf. And what happens after 400 years? After 400 years, who does God send to prepare his people for the Messiah? John the Baptist. So God prophesied one of the last things he said to his people before he was silent for 400 years. I'm going to send someone like Elijah or I'm going to send a prophet who's going to prepare the way, who's going to testify, who's going to bear witness, who's going to tell you that I am coming because the ultimate job of the prophet was not only to call people to repentance, but to point them back to Yahweh, point them back to God. And that's the role of John the Baptist. So the reason why John, the beloved, who writes this gospel, includes John the Baptist in this passage is to once again remind the reader that God has always been active in communicating his purpose, his plan, to his people. And once again, God has not forgotten his people. He has not forsaken his people. He is reminded of his covenant. He's reminded of his promises and he's reminded, right, that he's going to remain faithful to his people. So he's going to send John the Baptist. So the interruption is a reminder of God's plan, that he had this planned all along. But then he talks about John the Baptist and then says, that Jesus is this true light look at verse 9 the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world so john the writer says everyone who comes to believe and put their faith in the true light puts their faith puts their trust in Jesus right that that's who's he talking about The true light is Jesus, but but also also not only Jesus himself, but also what, what else is he saying about the true light? The true light is also the truth about Jesus, the truth about what Jesus says about us and this world right? It's not just knowing Jesus. It's not just understanding that he exists. Listen, many people know who Jesus is. They know that he existed. They believe that he was a real person, but but the true light, right? It means that that not only do you know Jesus, but but you have a relationship with Jesus that, that you know that above everything else, that he is the true light among false lights because the temptation right, for us, and the temptation for them is what? The temptation is to to see other things and other people as a false light. Why? Because we live in a dark world. That's what what John says, right? The light shines in darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. What is he implying in verse 5? Well, and then talking about verse 9, he's implying that the world that we live in is dark. The world that we live in is sinful. We do not live in a good world. We live in a world in which many people, if not most people, who don't believe in Jesus, who have not put their faith in Jesus, are looking for a false light. All throughout history, since the beginning of time, we all have been looking for something to give you value, to give us worth, to give us meaning. So we look for false lights. We look for lights that are not Jesus, that aren't the truth of Jesus and the truth of his word and the truth of the gospel. We live in a world, right, that is so dark, a culture that is so sinful that it cannot see Jesus. It doesn't want to see Jesus. It has no desire to understand the truth of this light. This world is looking for someone and something to provide value and insight. And they don't realize that like the only value and worth that you can find, it's in Jesus. They're looking for the light. They're looking for it in political candidates. They're looking for it in sociology and, and psychology. And they're looking for it in music, right? Looking for, for purpose and meaning and value and worth. Following other people, right? They look for it in relationships and family. They look for it in finances and titles and achievements. They're looking for it in fame and fortune. But that's not the truth light. That's a false light. A false light that gives you only temporary happiness, right? Like, think about the time before you were a believer. I said before how exhausting that was. It's exhausting because people who don't know Jesus continually to pursue after the things of this world and are exhausted because they have not found the true light. They have not found the light that's congruent with who Jesus is. That's a big word for me. I just used that and you guys were like, (laughs) no one was like, congruent? I don't even know how to spell that. You guys should be applauding. Oh, my gosh, he used the big word. There we go. Who said a kid from the Bronx can't use big words? Right? Like, they're seeking after everything else. And, And here's what the world finds. They find the false light. But you know what the false light provides? Chaos, disorder, division, confusion. All this mental health stuff, right? Like, Mental illness is, is a, a, a real thing and is affecting our next generation, but how much of that is affected because, because what? They, they have found a false light. They have found a false identity in what, in what they what they've found in this world. What if they found Jesus? What if we found the true light? What would our marriages look like if the true light existed in our marriages? What would our families look like if we fully believed in the word of, of the gospel and pursued Jesus with our children? What would happen to our children? What would happen to our school systems, right? Like, like think about the city of Akron. Our teachers right now are about to strike. There's chaos. There's disorder. Why? Because we've gone after everything else but Jesus. And what John's saying is the true light has come into this world. I love this other idea. Not only that, that there's a truth light, a true light among false light. I love this idea. This idea, that last part. Look at it again. It's really simple. It's not a big deal, but but it, it, it carries significance. Look at look at this verse again, verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into this world. Think about it this way. We serve a God, we believe in a God, we believe in a triune God who is bigger than our creation. We believe that God exists apart from his creation. God is so infinite. He's so wise and powerful that like this universe cannot contain who he is. This is the idea of transcendent that God, God exceeds, like he exists apart from his creation. He can look down on his creation. Like he can hold uh, uh, figuratively speaking. I imagine like he can hold the entire universe in his hand. That's how big and vast and large our God is. And yet, What John is saying, that the true light that exists in Jesus has come down to this world. What is this idea that he's coming to this world? This idea that God is imminent. Imagine this idea that the creator and sustainer of the universe, who lives beyond his creation and the universe, loves his world so much that he created, the people of his world so much that he draw near to his creation. There is no other religion, no other belief system that can say that their deity draws near to them. Only Christianity. Christianity says that we serve a God who came down to this earth to live among us, to be with us, to be in communion with us. What other God does that? Tell me what other God does that. And not only to draw to us, but to provide us hope to provide us peace, to provide us the true light. This is the God that we serve. He's not only bigger than the universe. He comes in to our world. He comes into our space. And the bigger principle, the the practical principle to understand is that not only does he come, but he draws near to you, to me. Did you hear what I said? He draws near you. Just as I'm speaking right now to you, God is here through his spirit. He's invested in you. He's invested in everything that you do, everything that you are. Like, He's totally committed to you and your problems and your issues and your waywardness. God has drawn near to you when, look what it says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, right? So he's now saying again, he's repeating this idea, Jesus Christ created the universe, right? God the Father created the universe through his son, Jesus. We talked about that last week. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So what was the world's response when Jesus came? What is the world's response now that Jesus has come? We don't know him. That's like a father coming home to his children and his wife, walks into the door and they do not know him. The person who's provided for them, giving them shelter, food, clothing, they're distracted by the TV, the phone, the relationship, the money. The house, the car, the wealth, the power, the influence, right? Like they're consumed by the very things that that he's provided for them and they do not know him. That is the response of the world. That's the response of a dark world, a sinful world. We live in a sinful world. We are sinful people. Everything in us is sinful. And yet he comes into this world the world that says, I do not know him. Look, even further, look what he says. Not only did he come to the world that he created, right? Like, it's like a welcome party. It's like, oh, the the, the boss is back, or like, dad is back. Like, we should all know who he is, and yet the world does not know him. And then John goes to say, not only doesn't the world know him, they don't, they can't see him. They can't see who he is. They, They don't understand who he is. They don't understand his purpose for coming. Look what he says after that. He says he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. So so not only does the world not know him, but the very people that he created and called out to be a beacon of light and hope to the rest of the world so that the rest of the world can know him has rejected him. What does that mean? It means that they knew him, and yet they decided not to follow him. And that is the story of the Israelites in the Old Testament. That is the story of the nation of Israel. And that is the story of the Jews today, that God has always communicated his self-revelation in the Messiah, promising them that he's going to send another person to, to help them, to save them for their sin, right, to to rescue them out of bondage, but not out of the slavery of, of, of other empires, but the slavery of sin and death. He's going to send the Messiah. They're going to see him. They're going to witness him. They're going to hear him. They're going to see him speak. They're going to see him do miracles and they're going to reject him. That's the world that we live in. You know, Part of me was like, if I was Jesus, I would just be like, I'm done. I'm good. I'll go make someone else in another planet, right? Like, we'll start a little galaxy in the back corner, and we'll start with a group of people. We'll take Tim Marrero. He's an exception. <laughs> He's kind of funny, so we need comedy on the other planet. <laughs> um, right? No, no. Like, like, he didn't give up. He was fully committed to us. He was He was committed to His faithfulness to us to come to a world that did not know Him. Why? Because the world is dark and we cannot see the true light. And to come among His own people, who He had made promises to, who should have known Him, who should have seen Him, understood Him, believed in Him, and followed Him, and still come. Now, you read this passage. And you're like, that's kind of grim. That's a tragedy. And it is, right? It is a tragedy that, that Jesus Christ is unknown and rejected even till this day. You know, it's mind-boggling to me. This is a side note. We're chasing a little rabbit now. It's mind-boggling to me. It's mind-boggling to me that people do not believe in Jesus Christ. It's mind-boggling to me. You mean to tell me, you mean to tell me that that you would much rather live for yourself, for this temporary world, in the grand scheme of eternity? You would rather live for the temporary pleasures and you'll still live in the anxiety and the fear and, the, and, and, and chasing after good pleasures for the short amount of time that you live on this earth. And you'll live for that and then give up the entire eternity of history, right? Like the billions and trillions of years that we would spend with Jesus. All that you can live for your selfish self right now. It's mind-boggling to me. It's exhausting because we all were there. We were all there. There. And people don't want to believe. They don't. It's too hard to believe that God created the universe by the power of His word because I haven't seen Him. But I'm going to believe in a Big Bang, and somehow, some way, all the nuances of this universe is going to be put together in a way that explains and makes sense to me. I can't believe in God because it's just a story of a book. It's mind-boggling that you would much rather have faith in yourself and you'd rather gamble your life away all to say, "Eh, I won't believe. Let me tell you something. That's a dangerous game. That's high stakes. I'm willing to gamble that he doesn't exist. Because let me tell you something. Jesus came down as a baby, but the next time he comes down, he's not coming as a baby. He's coming as a judge. And he's going to make a final verdict. And the verdict is this. You don't pursue me. You don't follow me. You didn't want to believe me. You wanted to follow your selfish plan. You wanted to find find your identity in yourself and this world and the chaos of this world. Go ahead. Here's the final verdict. I have communicated my power. I have communicated my word. I have shown you my love. I have shown you my grace. I have shown you my existence in the world and you still choose not to follow me. Go ahead. This is the final verdict. That's a big gamble. count me out. I'm out. That's not a game I'm willing to play. And yet people do it all the time. And the sad part is that there are people in the church who play that same game too. They act like Christians and look like Christians and yet everything about themselves is nothing about Jesus. But, sorry, I didn't mean to go hard on you guys. You guys are like, ooh. Can I tell you the, the hope? Look at this next couple of verses verse 12 let me tell you something god is true he is true light and truthful Well, then this is the hope i love every time you see in the bible the word but because it's the hard truth right like the world rejected him the world did not believe in him his home people him. and also too um that last verse too that's us too we reject jesus all the time we're with the jews as well we're no different between, the, between us and the Jews. We rejected because our sin, our waywardness, we rejected Jesus too. We put him on the cross too. It wasn't only them, but then, then John, the beloved, John, the evangelist, says these beautiful words. Look ever so. He says, but, man, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. What is his name? True light, the word. That's what John is saying. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Here's another idea for you. This true light that exists in Jesus can only be seen, can only be known if Jesus reveals himself to you. That's the beauty of this passage. Notice what he says. He doesn't say he gives them the right to be followers of the true light. Notice he doesn't say um, he gives them the right to be soldiers. Because what what were the people in those days, the Jewish people looking for? They were looking for what? A warrior. They were looking for, for a warrior king to come in to take over the Jewish world and, and, and to fight against the Roman Empire. But, but what, does, what does he say? He doesn't say, he say, I gave him the right to be soldiers of God. What does he say? He says, I give him a right to be called what? Children. You know, we have this saying, um, in tradition, you know, I've heard it said, we hear it all the time, um, this idea that we're all children of God. Have you heard that before? We're just all children of God. Raise your hand if if you've heard that before, we're all children of God. Yeah, you heard that before? Um, I'm gonna go a little hard again. You ready? Are you ready? Okay. That's not necessarily true. Ooh, I got a little response. If you mean to say that God is the creator of all things and that all people were created by God and therefore we are all children of God? Yes, okay, you get a little pass on that. But here's the truth, not all of us are children of God. Not all of us are adopted into God's family. This is what John is saying, that the true light is exposing the the sin and darkness of our world, but is exposing it to the people who would believe and those people who believe, those people who believe in his name, those people who accept and follow Jesus because the Holy Spirit has illuminated their minds, has illuminated their hearts to understand and receive the gospel, and they in return respond to the gospel. Only them are called children of God. But if you do not believe in Jesus, if you do not follow Jesus, if you do not pursue Jesus, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus, if your life looks less like Jesus, right? Meaning, not meaning that you won't sin, but meaning that like your life completely does not look like Jesus and you do not believe in him. You are not a child of God because being a child of God is a right that is given, right? And what John's saying here, right? That he's given them the right to be children of God. But the hope is that you and I who are believers were adopted in God's family. Imagine that, you and I are adopted into God's family, where what? Where the opposite is true of what John says, where we know him, we receive him, and we believe in him. And what does John say? He said, they were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. That is the whole point of the Christmas story. It doesn't end with a cute baby in a manger. You know what it truly ends in for us for just a moment? It ends with God extending the invitation to believe and trust in him and him alone to find the true light in him and him alone to find the truth of God's word in him and him alone to receive the grace alone in him. That is the power that we believe in. And the truth is, look at me for a second. There are two options for us. We all start in the same path. And there's two options for us. Option one is this. We continue to live in the darkness. We continue to pursue false lights that we think are light, but it's not light. We we pursue our own endeavors, we pursue our own selfishness, we pursue our own sin, or option two is this, we get off the path, we get off the ramp, right? Like, we we get off the exit, and we get on the other highway. We get on the other road, and here's where the road leads. It leads to the actual realization of the true light. It leads to eternity with Jesus. Those are the options that we have here today. We don't have time to be playing games anymore. Like if you look at our world, and I keep saying this almost every service, our world is not getting better, and yet we continue to play games, thinking that somehow, way, this world is getting better. No, it's not getting better. And for young people that are thinking that they're gonna live their life for, for, for a long time, and you have 30, 40 years to live, I'm telling you right now, tomorrow is not promised. You don't have time to figure out what you're gonna do in life, whether you're gonna believe in Jesus or not. The time to believe is now. The time to follow the true light is now. We don't have time to waste. Let the world waste its time. Let the world find its identity in everything else. Let us be like John the Baptist to prepare the way for Jesus, to remind the people, hey, listen, you don't have time. How many stories we hear of people who are dying and people who are sick and people who, like, don't, who we thought were going to live a long life and they haven't. Life is really small. Like Think about it. We don't have time, but believe in the true light that gives you the hope in a dark and fallen world. Doesn't mean that the anxiety and fear goes away. It doesn't mean that your sinfulness doesn't go away. It just means this you have something to hope for that this life is temporary and that this life is worth living now because we have the light. Let's pray. God, we want to know the true light. We want to experience the true light. And we ask you, Father God, in the name of your son, Jesus, that these words will ring true in our hearts and our lives. And I pray, Lord, in a special way right now for people who do not know you, people who have not put their trust in you, people who have been playing games with you. God, I ask you right now to wreck their lives right now. Please, oh, Lord, wreck it. Let them see you for who you really are, a gracious and loving God that one day will come as judge. God, let them see the waywardness of their sin. Let them experience the true light in your son, Jesus, oh God. Let them know that the true Christmas story started before the foundations of the earth, but one day will come to an end when we will see you face to face and that we would enjoy eternal life with you, God. Lord, let these words ring true when we're faced with the anxiety and the fear of problems in our, in our minds, in our hearts, in our, in our work, God. Remind these words to us, God, that you are the true light, that the light exposes the world for what it really is, a fraud. But there's hope in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And the people of God say. This has been a message from the chapel. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about the chapel or any of our campuses, including Akron, Green, Wadsworth, Canmore, Cuyahoga Falls, Nordonia, and Medina, please go to our website at thechapel.life.